Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Premier Football Podcast on PFP Media. I, as always, am Rafe Garland and I'm joined, as always, by Joe Doherty. Joe, today is commonly known as Blue Monday, the first Monday of January when everyone goes back to work. Now, obviously, it's a, it's a Blue Monday for, for Frank Lampard today, but how are you getting on? Uh, quite honestly, Rafe, I've been much better. I, I, I developed symptoms of a mild head cold midway last week i thought that it would be something that if i just didn't exercise and didn't drink for a day and took it took it easy then the next day i'd be feeling fine but it's just it's been the complete opposite of a usual cold where you just take one day easy and then you're fine i've just got progressively worse despite resting so i'm uh, i'm not in in best form of my my wife the same and my son is home with chicken pox off crash so it's a bit of a madhouse on on this blue monday but we'll see how the week week develops man yeah, I, I can certainly sympathise. I don't know um, about our viewers, but here in Ireland right now, it's really, really cold and and really, mm. really dark uh, for the last few days, and it's it's really just not been not been pleasant. It's not been a nice start to the new year. Um, in terms of the weather, look. Anyway, we'll we'll focus on the football. There was a there was a huge game in the Premier League yesterday. City piled on the pressure at the top. Uh, a comfortable three one win over. Chelsea and, and and I tweeted before the game, Joe. I, I said that regardless of of the result, um, nobody would get any praise for for what happened yesterday. It would all be about the team that lost and and, and the pressure on the manager and, and you know how everything is, is wrong and how it's awful and, and how it's a big disaster. And and is that the case? Is everything wrong and terrible and disastrous at Chelsea? Um. No. I. I. I, I <laughs> yes and no. Yeah. The, the expectations last. Last year were were not very high. I even think Frank Lampard could have got away with not getting into the Champions League purely because of the the transfer ban. Um, I don't know if you agree with me, but I, I'm I'm quite sure that that's the case. He kind of had a free pass. This season is, is is very different. But although they have spent upwards of 200 million pounds on about five new new signings, including two uh, supposedly elite attacking players in Kai Havertz and, and Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech as well. Let's, let's not forget. Uh, we, I suppose we have to realise that with the exception of Ziyech, the, the other two are quite young and all three of them are new to English football. So they're, they're, they have taken a bit of a risk in... I mean, the, this is the sort of thing they did in the early Abramovich era, wasn't it? They brought the likes of Iron Robin in, um, Didier Drogba, Mattia Kejman... Um, Who's the Romanian chap who got done for cocaine use? Adrian uh, Mutu. Mutu. They, yeah, Adrian Mutu. They, they were they were bringing players from from abroad primarily. Obviously, they did sign the likes of Ashley Cole and Joe Cole, even Frank Lampard as well. But they brought in a lot of players from abroad, and and it, it didn't click immediately for them once they spent that money. They had to bring in Jose Mourinho, and then he almost in his second season he got he, he got them firing and he, I think he finished second in his first but um, I think it's fair to say that um, they would have expected a little bit better than this still yet to beat a team in the top half of the table in pretty disastrous form in their last five games um, not, not to mention that they were missing several of their first team through through COVID City yeah City yeah so Chelsea couldn't yeah. beat City missing X amount of, of players <clears throat> And City couldn't even field field a, a, a full a full bench. I, I think Lampard might be in trouble. He spoke very well after the game. He did. He does seem to be in control of what he's saying. I don't know if you watched the interview, but it was very eloquent and everything he said made sense. But at the end of the day, it was a really poor performance. And 
I mean, they were really poor against Arsenal as well. They've been really poor of late in, in, in many of their games. And I would say that the, that the most worrying thing is how Timo Werner actually started the season quite well. And you thought, all right, this guy is made for English football. And everyone thought he'd be made for English football because of his game, but he's just lost all confidence. He looks off the pace. He's not working as hard. And I can't even remember him having too many chances recently, which as a striker is really, really worrying. It's not like he's getting in the right positions and you know you can feel that it's going to come. He's not even getting in the right positions. And the front three yesterday just looked... What was it? It was it was Ziyech on the right, Werner through the middle, and Pulisic on the left. It was dreadful. It, it had it, in theory that should that should work, but it just didn't at all. City, it was it was very very easy for City. City were very good, and we should get into that. But Chelsea, the fact that they made it that easy for City is something Lampard should be very very concerned about. You mentioned there how how it took even when Mourinho came in first time round, it took a couple of years to get the squad right and have them gelling and, and have them really performing at, at a high level. Now, then, it was the case that the, it, it was more that the board that were signing players, and, and I, I was only wondering last night who who has been signing these players for Chelsea over the summer because they don't necessarily seem to have been bought to play mm. together. We we saw Werner playing through the middle. Last night, he's played obviously a lot of the season on the left, but he played 90 minutes to the middle yesterday. Kai Havertz doesn't really seem to fit directly into that team anywhere. And and I wonder if Frank Lampard turned around to Abramovich over the summer and said, go and get me these players. These are what I need to complete the team. Or, or if it was a case that Abramovich said, hey, Frank, this is what you're this is what you're getting. You know, go and make it work. As far as far as far as I'm aware, it's 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 much less Abramovich who's doing that. It's it's a, a lady called Marina Granovskaya who is one of Abramovich's most trusted um, associates, and she basically takes care of Chelsea Football Club and has done for for quite a while. Petr Cech is obviously technical director, but quite how much of a say? I, I'd imagine that he. I thought he was Lampard the goalkeeper for the under twenty three. Come up with the list. He is fourth choice goalkeeper, yeah. But yeah, he's technical director. So I'd imagine how it'd be good to talk to someone from Chelsea who has a Chelsea connection about this, who's a Chelsea fan. But I'd imagine that it's him or him, him and Frank Lampard who come up with a list of players that they then present to Marina Granovskaya, and then she's the one who opens the purse strings and decides whether or not they're going to sign uh, the players if it fits their mold. I mean, they, they, they they're clearly signing big names now. They're, they've gone back to that with the Havertz was the most highly rated attacking midfielder in in Europe last year of the last two seasons. Werner was one of the most highly rated strikers over the last two seasons. Ziyech has been scouted by uh, by many top clubs and obviously caught the eye in the Champions League with Ajax two seasons ago. So they're they've gone down the route of signing big names. And it's just not Thiago Silva as well, of course, although he's in the twilight of his career, but it's just not coming to fruition so far. Um, and Frank Lampard spoke after the game about needing more time to gel. And, you know, there are obviously people in this. He obviously needs to trim his squad down as well. It's, it's very big. And there are still a lot of players who uh, who aren't wanted at the squad. And he still has, you know, with the transfer ban last season, this is only really the first season that he's been able to bring players in but I just feel that given the 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 level of investment and given of the quality the quality of the players that they have brought in 
anything less than a, a chance. I mean, I, I'm sure they would have been wanting to challenge for the title. Lampard made it clear that that wasn't the goal after uh, after the, the, the game. But if if he came fourth last year when they really should have come third, surely this year you're supposed to be building on that and not ending up in eighth place in uh, January. Yeah, and I suppose if, if we look at how United have come on at the same time and, and progressed, that's what Chelsea fans would have expected for, from their own side. I, I wonder, having watched that game last night and watched a few Chelsea games this year, obviously everyone's talking about their forwards and, and Werner and, and Havertz and, and you know where the goals are coming from, but you look across the that midfield and, and you N'Golo Kante isn't the player that he used to be. And he can't do the defensive work for two men. And he was expected to do the defensive work for two men yesterday against Manchester City. And they were just completely overrun. I mean, I think it was almost naive of Frank, the way he set up his team yesterday. Like, this is still Manchester City. You know, they still deserve a lot of credit as a footballing team. And if, you, if you're if you open when you play against them, they're, they're just going to walk right through you. Mm. It was a, I, I thought it was an odd midfield. It was Kante sitting in the middle and then Kovacic to his right and Mount to his left. I, I do think that Mount is, 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 is pretty good and you can see how he, how he carries the ball from, from, def, from midfield to attack and that's something that Lampard yeah, sure, finds but, really but here, important. Here's the thing about Mason yeah. Mount. What position does he play? He plays uh, left, centre, mid in a three at the moment, but he's also played right wing, left wing in the ten. Um, I don't know if he's played as a false nine. I'm sure he could be tried. It, it, it's difficult to pin down. He's an attacker, um, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I, I mean, playing it, playing as part of a front three or four, as opposed to a midfield three. I think so, because right now he's playing in the Jorginho Vinaldum role. Vinaldum's role is to, is, is a ball carrying, a hard working eight, isn't it? When Alan's role is to run, to run and run and it, run and run and it, run. It, it is, but he he also carries the ball, doesn't he? He he, bring, he brings the ball from midfield to attack and yeah, he look he, he plays a lot of sideways passes. Side. Liverpool like to switch the ball quickly from side to side to try exploit the space like that, and and his job is to turn on it and, and play balls from left to right and, and from right to left. He doesn't play a whole lot of line breaking passes forwards, but his job is to move the point of attack from from left to right or right to left quickly like that. Whereas whereas Mason meant. I mean, we've seen him score some great goals. He's got great technique. He, he strikes the ball really well. He, he, he's he's really clever in and around the box. And I think that's that's his strongest area of the pitch. Question for you. Can you play Mason Mount and Kai Averts in the same team? Like, it would be an incredibly attacking team. And I think if you were going to do it, you'd have to play Mason Mount on the wing and Kai Havertz as a, as a number 10. I, I don't think that you can play them both in midfield. Certainly not. Unless you're Manchester City and you're playing Kevin De Bruyne yeah, and no, no. Uh, David Silva in midfield, but it'd be the same as that. Yeah, but there, I mean, that's a that's a, that, that that is a level above Kai Havertz and Mason Mount. I think it's fair to say. But I, well, that, 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 that's City? if the whole team that, is, is. Yeah, well, let's talk about City. Like City were able hmm. to do that and have been able to do that because they are so well drilled. They keep the ball so well. They know they're going to have eighty percent of of the ball more weeks than not. You know, and if Chelsea want to play like that, if Chelsea want to have eighty percent of the ball, then they can play Mason Mount and Kai Havertz in midfield together. You know, hmm. but if they're going to be strong at the back and if they're going to try break quickly and, and you know. Uh, put balls into the channels or you know put balls in behind to chase and try to use that pace up front that's 
that that's not the midfield that you want then you've got to have a more combative midfield and and be be ready to give up the possession and i think this is this is to, to finish on Chelsea, this is the issue that they have. They're caught between two mindsets as to whether or not they're going to be a team that dominate the ball and take the game to you or whether they're going to be a team that sit back, soak up the pressure and try to do you on the break. Yeah, and I think that yeah, I'm, I'm not... They, they kind of tried to go toe-to-toe with City yesterday, which you can understand they were at home. They played a 4-3-3 and that's, City that, played a... That's the last the, thing. I think we've said this to you before. I think that Chelsea are really, really struggling without fans. I think that since Jose's first spell at the club, Stamford Bridge has been an absolute fortress. But since well, it's one of the, it's it's one of the, they're the only Old Trafford and Anfield aside that are kind of bigger, but they're kind of the the last of the of the football grounds. It's quite similar to Ellen Road, if you know what I mean. It's about 40,000 seats, very closed in, very similar to what Highbury was like as well. Mm. And those sort of grounds are, you're absolutely right. They're notorious for being seriously tough places to go um especially when the team is uh in form but um you know they get just get on a like liverpool are at anfield i mean even without fans liverpool are just imperious at anfield no one can come to anfield and, and get a win in in the league it's it's what 60 70 games they're going to break that record it's quite quite incredible we, look, we said we'd talk about City. <laughs> yeah, we did. We, look, we, 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 we we've did. given we've given Pep and City a bit of stick on the on the show this year. At the start of the season, I tipped them as the ones maybe to drop out of the top four. I know they're a couple of games behind uh, some of the other guys at the top of the league. Excuse me. But they've been going about their business really, really quietly. You know, they've not been losing games. They've been keeping a load of clean sheets. I know they conceded in the last minute yesterday. When I saw that lineup yesterday... I, I, I couldn't believe that they left Riyad Mahrez out. I was thinking he's one of their most creative players. You know, they're, they're playing Kevin De Bruyne as a, as a number nine. We've never seen him play number nine for Manchester City before. This is this is absolutely ridiculous. Pep, Pep's overthinking it here. I, look, we were both upset that he left one man off the bench because he could have picked a youth player and, and, and made someone stay. But aside from that, the team selection, you almost looked at it and go, wow, this is, this is really weird for City. But you know what? It worked and he was spot on tactically. Yeah, it worked really. It worked really, really well, and it kind of showed showed all of us uh, tacticians, quote unquote, tacticians at home up for for thinking that we knew better. What I loved mo- most about that was that Kevin De Bruyne didn't play as a false nine. He played as a nine, and he put in a great, great, great shift. Um, scored as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and and City just looked excellent. It, it was a training exercise for them, quite honestly, Rafe. Um, if they kept the ball incredibly well. I can't remember exactly the possession stats, but it must... Well, no, they let Chelsea come... In the first half, they must have had about 70% possession. It was it was the most dominant display that we've seen, certainly with one with, between two two big teams teams this season. And they only have... They're, they're um, four points behind Liverpool with a game in hand and four points behind Manchester United with a game in hand. So they're right in there. They win that game... And they're up into into third place, and I, I would still tip them to finish second at the very least this season. Yeah, and let, like to to actually to more more than Kevin De Bruyne because he was brilliant yesterday. I think Raheem Sterling played really really well um, too, and he's one that we don't give a lot of credit to on on this show. I think his goal involvements over the last two years are are up there with. Uh, some of the biggest names in in Europe, you know, that the numbers that he's consistently putting out week on week, he, like he he nearly always scores or assists when he plays. 
Well, well, he's been. Yeah, I, so, something happened there. You, bro I, I don't know if I was breaking up or if you broke up. You were saying about Raheem Sterling that he's been inconsistent or quiet no, over the last couple of no, seasons. No, 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 no. I said that he, his goal involvements are up there with the with the best with the biggest uh, names in Europe. He seems to score right. or assist whenever he plays. He's got something like uh, forty goal involvements over the last year and a half. He, 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 he even even when he's quiet or he doesn't look great, he's still constantly chipping away. Mm. Still only 26 as well, so he's very much just coming into his prime. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's he's an excellent player. He's probably maybe Harry Kane aside. Jesus, you're right. Uh, do you know do you know his goals for last season, Rafe? How many in all competitions? Thirty-one in fifty-two games. That's a striker's return. Twenty in the league. I didn't realize it was that high. That's that's remarkable. He's he's not been quite as hot in terms of goals this season. Uh, seven and twenty-one in all competitions, and four and thirteen in in, in the league. But yeah, he's he's a, he. Raheem Sterling is very rarely left out of the team, and Pep likes to rotate his front line. He's he's the most important one there. But as as good as he is in and around the box, like like those numbers show. What it, what he does is he doesn't mind dropping deep and, and picking up the ball and, and driving at defenders and really creating problems. Mm. And that, that's where so many of City's chances came yesterday. It was because the defenders had to step out and kind of engage him because he just, he doesn't give you an option. You know, if, if you back off, he's just going to coast past you. And he, he draws that tackle and he goes past you anyway. His pace is such a weapon and his ball control is, is up there with the best. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, he's one of the best players in the Premier League. And like you said, one of those players who can carry players who 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 frightens every single defender, because if he if he if he knocks it past you, you're not going to get it back off him. He'll do you for pace. And he, like we've said so many times over the last few seasons, he's improved his end product to no end since he joined from Liverpool. We've we've given Rodri a lot of stick um, since he joined the club, mm. and I, I don't I don't think he was especially good yesterday either. But someone that that did play well in midfield was Ek Gundogan. He obviously scored and and had another couple of chances as well. He's he's one that's kind of gone under the radar since he joined City a few years ago. But he's he's definitely a, a quality quality footballer. Yeah, he is. He's, an, he's, he's a World Cup winner. He's he's, a, he's an interesting one because he's not. An, I don't think he's an automatic pick. I, w I certainly wouldn't see him as an automatic pick as I, if I was in charge of things at uh, Manchester City. But he's a, I mean, you, you, I don't, I think any any team would be a club to, to would be a sorry a fool to turn him down. He's a really really useful player, quality quality on the ball, um, can make things happen, and he also works very hard off it as well. He's a very good midfielder. Okay, right. Look, we, we'll we'll move on. There was obviously another. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Um, there was obviously another couple of big games this weekend. Manchester United beat Aston Villa on the on on Friday night. Mm. Joe, they're, they're, they're level top of the league with Liverpool now. With la, la, on the last show, we were very critical of them. We said that they didn't deserve to beat Wolves. They, they didn't deserve the the result the week before as well. Do you think that they mm. deserve this result? Uh, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I, th I think they're probably all right for the win. Uh, Dean Smith, Aston Villa manager, was quite uh, quite upset, shall we say, about the the penalty that was given. But in this day and age, if you allow a, a, an opposition player to get the wrong side of you in the box, any sort of contact, 
he was saying Pogba jerked himself off. He, he may have done, but there was their legs were were right beside each other. So I, I didn't think he had too much of a leg to stand on there. No, I think probably out of the last three games, United were most value out of this one. I don't know what your your thoughts on it were. Certainly more so than Wolves. I thought the Wolves was was very, very, very fortuitous. But this one was, I mean, still very tight game. It's not like they blew Aston Villa away. It's not like they they should have won four nil or or something like that. At the end of the day, it was still a a penalty that that got the job done. And how many times has that happened over the past? Um, past year and this is something that we need to get into perhaps maybe we don't have the time today we need to do a bit more research but why are United getting so many penalties this is 15 penalties that Bruno Fernandes has, has taken and scored since he joined the club not even a year ago it's 33 penalties in all competitions since Solskjaer took over a year and a half ago it's unheard of it's, it's, it's over a penalty it's every second, like I said we will do second game yeah it's, it's unheard of and we will do a feature on this because it does require attention <laughs> it, it needs to be looked at because it doesn't happen and i'm not saying that it's that there's a conspiracy or that the I, I what i want to find out is what are united doing tactically to get so many penalties i'm not saying they're diving but what like well, the, the, the runs in, that, in a nutshell me, in a nutshell it, they're getting the ball into the box they're finding contact and they're falling yes. over at every possible chance what they're doing more so than get they are getting the ball into the box but they're getting fast runners into the box all of the time and once you're dealing with with fast runners in the box or tricky players in the box mm. you know yeah, I suppose you're, giving, you're giving yourself you, it's, it's very difficult to contend with and yeah. that's why they we, we will do more research into it but just off the bat looking at it objectively yesterday I, that was I, what I thought. I can remember Liverpool winning a rake of penalties maybe a year a year and a half ago as well where that that's what they were doing they were just getting Salah and Mane into the box and they were getting them wrong side and they were going over and, and winning penalties and if you look at who's got the most penalties in the league this season it's Leicester City and and the person that's winning all those penalties for them is Jamie Vardy and he, he's using his pace to get into the box get wrong side and and to go down and and hit the deck so yeah I think there's definitely something to that and, and something to do with um speed definitely being being a factor in it. Yeah, if, 100%. You, if you look at who's winning the penalties for United, it's Rashford and Martial have, have each won seven of those penalties. 100%. That's what they're tasked to. They're, they're, they're tasked to, to run into the box at pace. And it's very, uh, it's very, very difficult to deal with players like that. Look, Bruno, Bruno put the penalty away really, really well. He looks like a quality footballer. He, he's involved in more goals than he plays games at the moment. And I think he's won something like six Player of the Month awards since, since he signed for them last January, which is, which is almost unheard of. Yeah. But you, you, It's changed you, their fortunes. Yeah, he has for sure. But I think you have to look around the rest of that team when you talk about them as, as potential title challengers. I mean, Villa were carving them open in the second half of that game. They missed a rake of chances. They were dependent on their goalkeeper to make a couple of big saves. And and there's he's one that, that's turned his uh, turned his fortunes around. David De Gea last season was really, really struggling. I think ever, ever since, what was the last international tournament, the World Cup in 2018, where he had a bit of a stinker. He, he struggled for form for a year, mm. year and a half. But I think the pressure from Dean Henderson... This year, as the backup, has, has almost inspired him to to get his to get his act together. But defensively, United don't look completely there. Jack Grealish was having a field day on that left side, just chipping balls in. Mm-hmm. Aaron Wambasaka didn't know where he was for the first goal. He was exposed from the quick free kick. He was exposed three or four times um, with with naive positioning and, and diving into tackles. And then a couple of crosses from the other side. He ends up marking 
marking the center halves, which is, seems to be his favorite thing to do. Um, I, I don't know that they're going to win trophies with with him playing right back. I, th- I think that they, Harry Maguire can be exposed for pace, and I, I feel like they're chopping and changing the left back too much that they don't have a settled back four. But Eric Bailly coming back into the team has been huge for them because he's a world-class defender. I, I don't think he's world-class. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think he's good. He's their best centre-back. but he I still to stay fit, but on, if, if he can get a run, up, he's up there with the best. He, he, he has shown that, but it's been a long time since he's shown that because of his injury problems. Um, I, I do struggle to, to buy into any back four that United can possibly put together. And yeah, no, I think the left back issue is kind of just, they signed Telles and he's kind of as good as Shaw in different ways. Maybe Shaw is better defensively and Telles is better going forward. I'm not quite sure. I'd say that's probably the case. They rotate Brandon um, Williams in as well sometimes. Yeah, he's not great. He's not even left footed as well, um, which is not what you want <laughs> at a club like Manchester you can't I know Dennis Dennis Irwin played left back for United for years and he was obviously right footed but really you shouldn't be playing a, and Phil Neville Jesus that was a time where they literally didn't have a, a left footed left back and they were winning everything that's mad when you think about it. Uh, that kind of defeats my argument <laughs> I'll shut up instead <laughs> let's move on to something else <laughs> let's talk about Aston Villa for a minute because they had been the, the surprise package of the Premier League what, what does this defeat do to them obviously it resulted Old Trafford um, or sorry, I think it was in uh, Birmingham. A, a result in that game would have been absolutely huge. Um, mm. Either way, where, 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 where do they go from from here? Uh, down the table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, uh, curr- they they currently sit seventh, and if they win their yeah, game in the, hand, they're they're level with the likes of, of Spurs, uh, City, who obviously have a game in hand. And if they win, mm. they're, they're two games behind Leicester. If they win them both, they're they're level with them. So they're in and yeah, around Leicester Spurs form still at the moment as we approach the halfway point of the season. I mean, they're not going to strengthen realistically in January, are they? Whereas you look at the the teams ahead of them and you think maybe that they might have a a player or two. Um, coming in, could, could that be the difference in the second half of the season? I'm not sure. I think it'll be difficult to get good deals done in January. It, it, it always is, with the, with the exception of a deal like Bruno Fernandes, where, similarly to Virgil van Dijk, you've done all of the groundwork the summer before, or even the summer before that. You know, it's, 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 a, it's only a matter of time before that deal happens. I think that any, any rush deals, they, they usually don't go to plan. <laughs> in January, obviously, you think of Andy Carroll coming in in the in the eleventh. What a goal he scored yesterday! By the way, I don't know if you saw it. He scored a I brilliant. He it. scored a brilliant no. volley. The ball dipped down onto the edge of the box, and he absolutely thundered it with with the left foot. Kept it low through it through a pile of bodies. Uh, tell you what, back in the years, do you remember? Do you remember his uh, his first was it his first goal for Liverpool? His first goal might have been the header against Man City, but he scored a volley in that match as well, which was which was absolutely stunning. And he obviously scored that great bicycle kick, or scissors kick while he was at West Ham. He's got that in him. Um, so, yeah. But no, difficult to strengthen the January markets. I, th- I think particularly for mid-table clubs, which, which Aston, I mean, if Aston Villa can finish in the top half of the table, that would be fantastic. It really would. They, they did great business this summer getting Emi Martinez in. And they're, they're, they're players who they have, the likes of Anwar Al-Ghazi. Jack Grealish has come on this season. He's definitely more consistent than he was last season. He's he's doing it in every game. I can't think of a bad game that he's had. And Bertrand Traore is coming into form as well. And Ollie Watkins looks good, who's come up from the championship. So they look, they look pretty good. It's, it'll be difficult for them to finish in the in, in, in the European places. There's, there's big competition there. 
Okay, well, look, uh, let, let's talk about your, your favorite team, Joe, and, and your, sorry, your, your second favorite team and your least favorite team uh, who, who went head-to-head and, and Spurs came out mm. 3-0 winners over Leeds. Leeds, for the last few weeks, <laughs> well, they, they got pumped by Manchester United 6-2. They responded to that with a 5-0 win um, and now they, they've gone and lost 3-0. Mm. Is it is it the same story with them? Why do we bother talking? There was about also them a one nil over Burnley. That, yeah. oh, well, that doesn't suit my agenda right now. You know, <laughs> I don't know if. Uh, no, no, what, what, I, I'm a bit disappointed in Bielsa, to be honest, because I mean, <laughs> the games against United and Spurs, you don't set up to play like that. It's suicidal. You're you're asking for trouble. I, I don't know if he took confidence from the opening game against Liverpool where they narrowly lost 4-3. It actually could have been more. Liverpool probably should have won more comfortably and, and Leeds didn't have too many chances. But setting up and trying to play the way that they always play in Old Trafford and in, forget home and away, but against teams like Manchester United and Spurs who are so lethal on the counter-attack. I mean... It's it's just really naive. I, I get it that he has a philosophy. I think that that is great. That that's what he's all about. But you can tell why he's not been more successful in his career because he is unwilling to adapt how he plays. And I I I I think he's fantastic. He's great. I really love watching Leeds play, but they were awful against Spurs they were just they were shocking they they thoroughly deserved to lose they, they started well when, then they conceded the stupid penalty and their heads dropped and they they couldn't get themselves back into the game and everything they tried played into Spurs hands they only had themselves to blame it was a really really naive performance and they have a lot of growing up to do Rafe if they want to be uh be back to where they would consider they belong which is among the top six seven eight teams in the in the country we, I think we've made the comparison before um, between this this Leeds side and, and the Liverpool side of 2017-18 that were playing this ridiculously expansive free-flowing free football. But that was more because Liverpool just didn't have any defenders. And <laughs> that was all they could do was, was, was go forwards. But it was the year after that we saw Liverpool start to have success when they took a slightly more pragmatic approach to games. They, they still kept a lot of that quick attacking um, football, but but they kind of learned when it was appropriate. They didn't just go hell for leather at every opportunity. Um, there were there was obviously another team involved in that game, and as much as it probably pains you to say it, Spurs looked very good again. They they, they did everything right. They grew into the game. They sussed out leads. That they, they nullified pretty much everything leads threw at them, and and they broke incredibly well, and and they scored some good goals. Yeah, they played exactly how I expected them to play. They let Leeds have the ball in the opening 15 minutes, sussed them out, and then were, were lethal on the break, and they were unlucky not to win by more. I, I wasn't surprised by the scoreline. I was actually I was listening to it. I was doing a bit of cooking when the match was playing, so I was listening to it on the radio, and I was I got a, I was like, oh, Leeds are actually going to do well from, from what they were saying in the opening few minutes. And no, once the penalty went in, it was all... What happened was always going to happen, and you, you, you can't as a you can't be surprised. I don't think anyone can be surprised at that result, or the performance of both teams. I think that's exactly what was going to happen. I think what we and, did learn learn from sorry, this game, we we've been critical of Spurs um, in recent games of, of shutting up shop or too early, or at least trying to shut up shop and and dropping off deep and inviting kind of pressure onto themselves. Mm. I think they controlled this game really well once they had the lead. They actually looked to keep the ball a little more, a little bit more so than they have done in, in previous games. They didn't 
drop back into that low block because I think if they had sat deep and invited Leeds onto them, we know that Leeds can take advantage of that, you know? Um, so I think by, they, they actually managed the game very well. The likes of Harry Winks uh, and, and Domble, you know, kept the ball well and, and they showed a more technical side of, the, of that Spurs team than we're used to seeing. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that they've learned from those two defeats against Liverpool and Leicester where they, they the, the Liverpool game in particular, where they got what they deserved by conceding that 93rd minute uh, winner. They, mm. they, they completely got the way they deserved because I, they just I think sat of, off for the entire the entire game. I think of that equaliser that they conceded in the last minute against Crystal Palace as, as well from the, from the corner. And, and there's, there's a handful of other examples as well of, of them. It's a risky approach, Rafe. I mean, both both of the you have two approaches when you when you take it the lead, right? You either push for more or you sit back and try to contain your lead. Or a, a, a sneaky third approach, you you try to control the game, not really too fussed about scoring, but make sure maybe a Manchester City approach where you just try to dominate ball possession. And um, Spurs, I suppose they did something in between all three against Leeds. The, the the one approach that they had been trying before, which was to sit back and invite pressure and to um, to just be happy, content with the one nil. That is that is is that is as risky in the current uh, in, in in modern football as pushing for more goals. <clears throat> okay, look, Joe, Arsenal won four nil. That the third consecutive win on the bounce it moves them within three points of the likes of West Ham, Southampton, Chelsea, Aston Villa. Obviously, a couple of those teams have have games to play, and, and we've talked about maybe how poor Chelsea have been in in recent um, times. But it's it's a hell of a lot better than being two or three points off relegation. Yeah, it is. And as, as well as the results, the performances in the last three games, particularly against Chelsea and um, and West Brom. I mean, our, our Arsenal were phenomenal against West Brom, I think it's, it's fair to say. West Brom were, were dire, but Arsenal played the sort of football that they played under, under Wenger. The Kieran Tierney's goal was a magnificent solo effort, but the... The second goal scored by Saka and the interchange between Lacazette, Smith Rowe, and and Saka to in the build up was was phenomenal. It was a a, a goal of of the of the best uh, under under Arsene Wenger, and I'm I'm sure if he was watching, he'd be he'd be very proud. And we haven't seen Arsenal play that type of swashbuckling attacking football in since Arteta took over. It was really promising, and the, the team seems to be getting some confidence. Obviously, I, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Arsenal are eleventh; it's three wins. It's good, but um, in the grand scheme of things, Arsenal need to sustain this form for the rest of the season and into next season. This is just the very start. This is the bare minimum to be winning games against Brighton and and West Brom. So I, I think as as good as it, I, the thing is, because of why Arsenal fans might be ha- happier than they should be in theory about these results is because of how bad it was before. So it's just good. It's a relief to see some sort of form coming back, to see players playing with confidence again, to see the team scoring goals, to see the team keeping clean sheets. It's for those reasons, it's it's because of how bad it was. That's that's why fans are maybe getting a little bit carried away. But there's a lot of work to do. And the club should know that there's a lot of work to do in the transfer market, in letting players go this this January and the summer and into next year. There are maybe 10, 15 players who need to be released or sold. And then there's about getting the right players in to replace them. Their next two league games are at, at home against Crystal Palace and at home against Newcastle. They play Newcastle at home in the cup. 
uh, mm. next week as well. Those those are games that in the, in this run of form, Arsenal should really be targeting three wins from again. And I suppose if halfway through January at, at the halfway point of the Premier League, our Arsenal have suddenly gone on a run of six consecutive wins and, and they're doing some decent business in, in the January window, there, there's a lot to be optimistic about. Now, you've been very critical on this show of, of Mikel Arteta. Mm. Do you think that maybe that was a little bit premature? I, I no, no, I don't because of how bad it was. I, I would complete. I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving him a lot of praise now because he put in youngsters. I just, I want, I wanted to see Willian dropped weeks ago. I wanted. He waited until Willian had to, had to be left out because of illness. He, he should have dropped him and played Saka on the right and played Emil Smith Rowe weeks ago a very fortuitous thing happened as well as that he Gabriel Martinelli came back from injury and they really needed him he obviously didn't feature against West Brom but he was he was vital to the wins against Chelsea and and Brighton so I I thought Arteta's perseverance with the likes of Willian and the tactics he was playing which was very slow and pedestrian were awful in the, in the first half of the season. And I think he was right to be criticised. And I think it's right to praise him now for doing things differently. Because with Arsenal's attacking players, there's no excuses for playing such dull, insipid football. I'm sure you would agree with, with that. There is absolutely no excuses for going for going up against mid-table teams with the likes of Aubameyang, Lacazette, Saka, Martinelli, even Willian, who has all of his experience, and playing this turgid defensive football back and sideways, pondering, looking for an opening. No, go at them, attack them, break them down with the quality of players that you have. And it was just a relief to see him finally go down that route. And I'm looking forward to having Thomas Party back. I think that literally will be like a new signing. He's only featured in a handful of games and because of injury, of course. For sure. Now, you mentioned William there briefly. Uh, you wrote an incredibly damning piece about him uh, dur- during the week. Yes, we'll put a link in the description below. Uh, as as Arsenal finally near the end of, of the Mesodosal saga, that seems to have dominated uh, Arsenal conversation for the best part of nearly two years. Is it almost fitting that they've got a new pantomime villain to, to fill that role sitting there stuffing his pockets full of fans cash while <laughs> offering very, very little on the pitch in terms of energy, effort and, and just general quality? Yeah, it kind of sums up the naivety of the, the those in charge of bringing players to the club and handing out new contracts, doesn't it? To When it was those, careers flittering out they take a, a punt on Willian I mean what, what I said in the piece why I think he's the worst transfer ever is because of how good he was for Chelsea because of how experienced he is because at 32 he's still got a lot to offer because it, because with seven years experience at Chelsea he should come in and seamlessly adapt to life at the Emirates Stadium bear, bear in mind and, that James Milner is 35 at this stage I mean, this is it. You can play Cristiano Ronaldo. Look at him breaking Pele's records at the age of 34, 35. He's now scored more than Pele. We think of Pele as the greatest player ever. We're, we're In the next few years, we're going to have to revisit that because Messi and Ronaldo are clearly the two best, for me, I think, the, the two best players of all time at the, this stage. No, age is just a number. And to see where, it's just how, how, how he should come in and immediately impact the team and immediately be on the set. He was quality for Chelsea last year. He was second for goals and top for assists for them. And he should come into Arsenal and immediately have that sort of effect on the team. And because of how poor he's been, I, I, I would call him the best, sorry, the worst signing that, that Arsenal have ever made, without a doubt. 
he he said himself that he moved from Chelsea or he, he turned down their contract offer to, to move to Arsenal because he wanted to challenge for, for trophies. Do you think that potentially he was underwhelmed at, at Arsenal's start to the season and, and things going on around him that he may have lost concentration or, or focus? Or do you think that maybe he, he's just packed it in? You know, he, he's taken his payday and he's realised now that there's not a whole lot left to work for. Do you think he, he could turn it around, say, if Arsenal were suddenly back up at the, at the top end of the table or, you know, competing in the back end of cup competitions? What should make him turn it around is the fact that he's lost his place. There's no way he can be starting games with the form of Saka right wing. He has absolutely no rights to, to come back into the team. So in the in, in when he does get on the pitch as a substitute, he should be playing his heart out. Why, why he hasn't been, I would say, is because he, he, know, he was told he's going to be starting week in, week out by Arteta. And as someone who's played in the league for so long, he feels he has absolutely nothing to prove. He has everything to prove coming to a club like Arsenal, who are in a rut, needing his quality badly. He, has, he, 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 he had the wrong attitude coming into the club. Okay, thanks. And look, that, that'll round up our, our kind of reviews uh, for, for the weekend. There, there's a, maybe, maybe one more topical thing that I want to talk to you about. Obviously, we've seen a lot of games um, called off over, over the last week um, because of positive COVID tests. It, it, it came out um, over the weekend that several Spurs picture, players were pictured um, celebrating Christmas together. Two of them subsequently tested positive for, for COVID. Ben Mendy w- was pictured out celebrating um, for, for New Year's. And it's come out this morning that apparently uh, a handful of the Celtic team uh, flew out to Dubai together and were pictured um, drinking and, and partying poolside. For if teams are breaching openly breaching coronavirus restrictions and, and subsequently games are, are being called off, do you think that those clubs should be deducted or not not deducted points, but they should be they should be forfeiting the games rather than postponing them? It's it's, it's a good point. I'd, I'd actually take what Mourinho said in his post match interview after the Leeds game. Uh, I thought it, what he said was completely true is that they control everything about the players once they have them in terms of when they're at the training ground. They obviously can't control them 24 hours a day. The, these, are, these are men they, these are men who, have, like any of us, who have to make the right decisions and we're not out partying in Dubai with, with, uh, with, with all of our mates and swanning off and, and, break, and breaking COVID restrictions left, left right, and centre. Th- 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 these are guys who have enough uh, maturity to not be making decisions like this. And, to, to, you know, it's very simple. The instructions from the NHS in the UK are very, very clear. It's stay at home. <laughs> Don't go out. Don't be socialising with anyone. Obviously, footballers have to go to work. So go to work do your socializing then and then go home and you know chill out with your family don't be don't be off partying and things like that it's just not it's not the time for that this year it's clearly not the time for that so i think to be fair to the clubs they can't be policing the players 24 but, hours but, a day but like it's it's the same with social media if players act inappropriately on social media they can be banned by the fa or, or banned by the club and, and action can be taken that that impacts the football you know it's not like players are completely absolved like they they're not normal people that that's well and good saying they're grown men and we can't control them but like these guys that they are representatives for the club they are role models then it's not even just affecting the football it's setting an example you know that that this kind of behavior is acceptable and and then the league are now accommodating 
postponements that are going to affect not just the teams that have the positive tests, but the other teams that are having their games called off. They're going to have to fit in these refixes somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Do you know what pissed me off the most about all of this is that Milivojevic was pictured at a gathering with Alexander Mitrovic. Obviously, both of them are Serbians playing in, in, for London teams. And Milivojevic started against Sheffield United. I thought that was shocking from Hodgson. He, he had, you have to drop him. Even if it's just to the bench, you don't start someone who's just broken COVID regulations. I think it's... Uh, so that was that was, so that was most to, to to answer my question if mm. players are openly breaching restrictions they they subsequently test positive and then games have to be postponed should the teams forfeit those games or is it right to postpone them i'm not entirely sure rafe i need to think about it more my my my, my as, as someone who, who who values personal freedom a lot i think that the, the clubs can't be poli- policing you know people people have to be responsible themselves and the, at the end of the day the player it's the players who are doing this and not the clubs but then then again the players are representatives of the clubs joe if, are, if the players are out catching covid and they're bringing covid into the club into the workplace and they're in, <clears> it, they're possibly potentially passing it on to other players and staff members and endangering the families of, the, of those players and staff members mm. That, that is shocking. It's absolutely the, shocking. The, the clubs, absolutely the, no time, the clubs are, are given special dispensation to continue playing football and the league is given special dis- dispensation to continue going ahead because of the amount of testing and because of these protocols that are in place. And mm. if the protocols aren't being followed, the football is going to end up getting called off. It's going to be postponed. It, it, they, we're going to have to take a, a two or three week break like we did last year um, or, or potentially two or three month break to get it under control. And it's going to be, it's going to be chaos. So I, I get what you're saying in terms of the freedom to do it. But if the players, like, it's not like the players don't have a choice. They're, they, they want to be professional footballers. You know, there's a lot that goes with being a professional footballer and there's, there's an incredible amount of rewards that come with that. And it's not of like... Of course, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a credible amount of responsibility from them now. I completely agree. I think that it's shocking and I think that the book should be thrown at players who... But I think that it, it, for me, it's more the player's responsibility than if it's the case that the club are promoting things like this or say or allowing players to go off to to Dubai, then that's fine. But I mean, so you'd be in favor maybe of the FA banning players for a longer period of time, giving them yes, exactly. five, five or six week bans or something like this. I, I don't know about five. I don't know a three match suspension or something like that, and a hundred thousand. But if they're missing or, two matches for COVID anyway, because they've got a positive test. Well, then, then put more. Uh, then put they miss the matches for COVID, and then they're banned for the matches when they're okay. When they're fair. Some, some, something like that, rather than saying that the t- that clubs have to forfeit the points. In my opinion. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, look, th- th- thanks for that. And I suppose that's going to that's gonna wrap up the show. Uh, one last question. Do you expect Liverpool to beat Southampton tonight? Because that's a huge game. Yeah, I do expect Liverpool to beat Southampton tonight. And that's a massive game. Liverpool need to win that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Guys, h- here at PFP, we are absolutely delighted to have launched our website this week. We'll put links to that in the description below. And um, we're obviously trying to grow the channel as much as we can. We're moving into uh, written media as, as well as the the um, weekly podcast that we do uh, and Joe's weekly features. That'll be back on Thursday. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, smash a like on the video and, and find all that uh, information in the description below. Uh, thanks for watching, Joe. Thanks for joining me. 
Thanks, Rafe. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and I'll be back with my with my feature uh, on Thursday, and I'll have a written piece out some stage this week as well. And we'll be doing that every week. And Rafe will chip in with some written pieces when he's when his <laughs> college work is less uh, less overwhelming. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs>